Cold Chat eats strategy for lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with executives, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. I'm Lee Harper, machine learning practitioner and strategist with over a decade in artificial intelligence. Sue's so out today being a good father to his children. I'm joined today by John Shaw. So John's a school entrepreneur, very much the definition of that, having run and sold companies in the cloud space since 2006. He sold his first company, Nimbo, a very, very early days cloud services company back in 2015. Previously, he's been head of AI and ML private equity and was web services. His most recent venture is Add Value Machine, which is looking to build good security, compliance, and little guardrails to help the adoption of the enterprise of generative AI solutions. Welcome, John. Thanks, Lee. Nice to be here on this podcast today. So I think, you know, the big thing that people want to hear about today really is, you know, generative AI. It's all in the news. It's the big thing right now. Honestly, it's the transformational thing right now. As a person who's built the company in this space, what are some of your perspectives on the opportunities of generative AI to really transform people's lives? Or the inverse? Yeah, well, I think if you go back to some of the AI in the last, say, five five to 10 years, we kind of were in this space of what, what I call a predictive AI, where you had to essentially use training data across your business to produce outcomes. And they could be, you know, outcomes to do recommendation from companies like Amazon, where they recommend the next best item to forecasting and time series data from that to, you know, just doing normal, you know, language processing of, of data and document processing. And what I call that is predictive AI versus what's happening now is generative AI. Generative AI has really been around before ChatGPT was more, was uh, came into the mainstream in December, 2022. It's, it was called a, a lot of people experimenting with GANs and other types of models to do, you know, image processing, audio processing. And it's only when this new type of or technique called the transformer model technique, modeling technique, really helped this become mainstream and allow companies to train these models on huge amounts of data, billions of parameters, essentially. So. Why is it relevant and why are people interested? Well, one, one big factor I believe is, is the democratization of AI effectively in December, the way, you know, the chat GPT was launched, it was kind of just here is, is a chatbot, and you can ask it any question. And before chatbots were very like rule driven, you know, if you ever been to any <laughs> website. I think most you of know, them hate those old chatbots, like, right? Uh, it's kind of like, you know, they think, oh, another chatbot. <gasps> Not another chatbot, yeah. Exactly. And it's, and, and you know, this, this enabled you to ask more natural language questions, you get a natural language response. And if you think about that from just, you know, just an assistant, a co-pilot, as, as it were, you can, you can get it to do content generation. I'm sure everybody's been using it on the call here to do all kinds of things, but it's, it's really now disrupting businesses as well as 
enabling startups to accelerate here. And if you, I believe what's going to happen is every employee in every company will have a co-pilot or an assistant. And what will eventually happen as, as this kind of will progresses is companies will enable you to ingest some of those siloed pieces of data in your business that may be these larger, these models, basically chat GPT and others, the commercial models don't have access. So if you can imagine if you knew everything about your entire history, the context or the nuance of every intent in your business and the operations, just imagine your knowledge worker as how, how much more productive they'll be. And I think that's the, the, the trend really is, is that disruption that's going to happen in, in businesses. And I can go into some, you know, my ideas of companies that will be disruptive pretty fast if, if they don't change how they, how they do business. But, but anyway, that's answer your question. Yeah. Please. And a way that I've kind of found it's helpful to use it in the current state and when it can answer questions, but accuracy is most certainly not guaranteed. We've famously seen this as a way to like create like a first draft of a document or the first draft of something to kind of remove that creative block that can happen when you look at a blank piece of paper or blank screen. That's something that I found to be very helpful like now. What kind of have you been seeing out in the field from a range of people, given that you're trying to sell for based on this right now? I think that's one of the challenges with with something like, uh, you know, this technology, you know, chat GPT, you can ask you questions about, about whatever topic you want, but it doesn't have context after 2021, the way it was trained. So you, instead of saying, I don't know that response, it actually hallucinates as they call it, which is they make up, it makes up a response that is written in a way that people believe and it creates a, a what I call responsible AI issue, because if you do that in your business or even in any content you generate, you, you, you call this foul of like you, you're producing facts that don't exist and potentially, you know, the reputation risk is, in is papers really high. That, yeah. So it gives a set of, you know, very, very reasonable looking at papers and from journals that really exist, the all the right. articles don't. Yeah, exactly. And so the other. What, what we've been helping companies with, with our platform that we're building is essentially how do you bring that data? So there's actually another trend as well that's happening at the same time, like all these trends always hit at the same time, is something called a vector database. And a vector database essentially holds embeddings, which allows machine learning models, generative AI models to get, to locate data within a certain corpus in an accurate way. So what we've been working with customers on is how do they bring some of their knowledge bases? So things like PDFs that they have in their business, maybe data in SharePoint and other repositories, and actually bringing that data into a vector database, an embeddings database, and then using a technique called in-context learning. And effectively what that is, is the ability to take a question and use the context of that business to send the prompt to something like OpenAI that runs ChatGPT or another language model. And then it, essentially that would give the language model a better context of what question is and will fulfill that question with the context of the problem that, you, you, that you're trying to do. So we've done it for simple things like who's 
you know, I'm a big soccer fan. You could say football, yeah. We're both, we're both Brits. You, know, you, can, you could totally say, I football. say football. It's all Brits. Yeah. But like, you know, who won the World Cup? You know, nobody knows, right? So I can, I can, so I can probably get ChatGPT to tell me that England won the World Cup, right? I would convince it, but that's not good, right? So if you have a context, I'd say, okay, the, this is actually the results. This is like a CSV maybe of all the World Cup games. You can actually add that context to the, to the question. And then it'll answer the question. It'll tell you who won the World Cup. And so that, that kind of knowledge that you can bring in and then use these like really large languages models to fulfill that. One of my business partners said it in a really great way. So it's like you're bringing, you know, you've read like maybe three books and this thing has, has billions of books that it has, right? So who's going to have more knowledge about those, you know, more context around those three books? It's going to be this language model. So it really helps gain a great context and relevancy. And just kind of looking at this, the reason, if you follow the call, call watching this today, you have, I think ChatGPT and OpenAI realized this. And what they've started to do is actually add this concept called plugins and plugins, which have been released. This is May to, I think it's going more general, general availability now. Plugins allows you to bring that context effectively to businesses. So now you have companies like Expedia, Kayak, I think Wolfgram, another company is Ed, I think Casino EdTech company in there too. So what they're doing is they're exposing their data to ChatGPT using a plugin to provide that context. And then as a, as a user, you can then say, Hey, I'm interested in going Italy. For example, I can choose my kayak plugin and then it's got the context, the data on kayak that is relevant and, you know, recent that can actually be used to do that. So it, it then creates this paradigm shift of, it's not just a, you know, summarization or language model that makes things pretty context, et cetera, summarization, but you actually can use it for actions so right it, now. And that's, that's really where this transformation. So I remember prior to, well, honestly, prior to last year, late last year, when these things came out, you know, when I was bidding out on work that was, you know, the large language models, fine tuning them. No, honestly, those would start at six figures, mm -hmm. right? You know, you'd have to have GPUs in play. You'd have to have, you know, some pretty skilled people, even with, you know, hugging place existing and stuff, but there was still a level of a lot of skill required to fine tune these things to give you a better business focused prediction. What would yeah. you say the cost has come down to now, like the investment cost to get started with these more up-to-date LLMs today compared to a year ago? Yeah, what's, what's happened is open source, the open source community is really accelerating super fast. So OpenAI today, they might change this and they say they are. Even though it's called OpenAI, is actually a closed model. So maybe this should be called. Well, it used to be open, like you know, back in GPT two um, days, like long, long ago now. But yeah, and, and the reasons, you know, commercially they were up to something which was going to transform the way they that you use those models. And you know, you, you can argue both sides of open open source, but what they did is enable the open source community to really set this game. So. I've seen companies, I mean, Meta and others have actually published their own model, their own version of these open AI type models. And because open AI have been somewhat open in some of their techniques, 
like reinforcement learning and tuning the loop of how to validate some of these responses, you now have in the open source community replicating some of that work that they proclaim to have, right? So it's lower the cost. It, this, uh, there was actually uh, Databricks came up with a model called Dolly, which is essentially, uh, if you're familiar with clones, cloning, the Dolly was the first sheet that was ever cloned, like mixed out replica of another sheet in, I think it was in Scotland or something. But they did the same thing with, I think it was Llama, which was the meta version of the open source, their open source version of OpenAI's GPT 3.5. And Databricks claimed it, it cost them $30 to train that model or to train it up to a point they could use it. And then the open source it, like to anybody could use it. So the cost of training has definitely gone back down and the open source community is, is allowed others to actually use these models. But I would also say that it's still very early days. The, as you just said, the fine tune of these models is still a, it will definitely help because the fine tuning essentially changes the weights of the model to a certain, you know, cute, you know, question and answer domain. So it'll definitely help to get more accuracy for a certain domain question, but that is probably a hundred times more expensive to do that versus the earlier technique that I just said, which is in context learning, which essentially doesn't change the weights of the model, doesn't change the model, doesn't train the model. It brings the, the data to that model via answers. So if I was starting this for any company, I would look at the different techniques and what you try, where you're trying to get to as a business and starting off with fine tuning or creating your own model, it co it's, it's cost derivative for a certain, you know, certain reasons. One is training for sure. The other part of it is you need really expensive data scientists, potentially, obviously not Lee and his company, but you know, company, you know, his, <laughs> you could edit that out and be like, but, but you know, but. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's definitely cost prohibitive because you need people actually understand how to train models, how to, you know, verify them and all that other stuff. Right. So it's cost prohibitive. So it's, it's also getting some folks in who actually understand these different techniques, finds the use case. It's just like any software, like it's not one hammer fits them all and, you know, ding, ding, ding. It might not actually be a generative AI use case. It might just be a traditional predictive AI use case that we talked about at the start of the call that why use generative AI, it might not give you what you're trying to do for this use case. Well, I think it all comes down to the same thing, right? You know, what, what's the use case? What, what do you want to do, right? What could make a difference with the needle of your business? Then back, okay, so we'll want, we'll want to do this thing. What technique is required to do that? How much might it cost? Should we do it or not? I see a lot of folks come to me and just say, Hey, yeah. I want some AI. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. What, what do I do with that? Because yeah. AI still is really, at, well, as should anything be in this space, it's all about the use case, right? You know, what do you actually want to solve? Where's the actual ROI in doing this thing that you want to do? Is it worth doing it? If you're going to spend half a million dollars on R&D yeah. to make 100K, I mean, yeah, you're now cutting edge, but it's probably not worth the while, right? Yeah, it's really interesting you say, you say that because working at AWS was was a great experience for me personally because they have a technique called working backwards, which is essentially working backwards from the outcome to the press release that that, that would 
tell the world about the outcome to the actual solution and then understand what be and all, you know, all focus around some ROI, some outcome. And uh, what I did at AWS is actually take that concept of like, how do we rapidly do this? Cause that generally that work at AWS takes anywhere from six to 10 weeks to do that process, which is a very in-depth process. Like they call it working backwards. If you do some Googling or GPT, you probably come up with the answer. But so I came up with this thing called fast start or ML fast start. And essentially what that was, was is a way of working with the business, giving them art the possible. Like, so you're in, I don't know, e-commerce. So personalization is a big deal in e-commerce, right? So recommendations, et cetera. So I would give examples, case studies that Amazon have for companies. Obviously Amazon itself is I mean, uh, an e-commerce the, business. The king so of that, right? Providing those examples. They're the king of that, right? And then just showing those things and these are the, you know, and then getting those business leaders involved in that and actually giving them the, the ideas that the, 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 you know, these, the, always the issue with most consultants is you kind of like try to play darts on a moving board, right? You kind of say, I think it's this because that's most businesses, but every business is, has their own different nuances of how they do it. So the way we, this program was very simple. Okay. We spend half an hour to go over like these, they are the possible use cases. And these are the types of things you could do in the business. They would go away, come back with like, well, we pulled our business. This is, these are the types of use cases that we believe would fit. And then we would verify those and quantify them to like the top three. And then we drill into one of those use cases. And again, work backwards to where's the data? What's the ROI? What's the efficiency gain? You know, what happens is that if there's a true positive or a false positive, which is essentially what we're if you're dictating something really, really that has to be accurate, you want to make sure that you don't give a true answer when it's really false, right? And, you know, cancer diagnosis is a great example of that. So you want to make sure that you overemphasize that in your, in, when you're building the, the system and having humans and all of and all that, but it's, but then it's also come down to what is that efficiency gain, right? So an example could be pay, you know, an insurance, I have a ton of claims that come in, I'd say 10 claims and they come in in these different documents and it takes in the analyst 20 minutes per claim to actually read through every document that's submitted by the customer. Now, if you could use machine learning to take the data off those, those different forms and then maybe I do the same analysis that that person did, maybe produce that 20 minutes down to say you know, a minute, what is that, what is that efficiency gain those 19 minutes? And then the accuracy of the human versus the machine doing that. And then that, you, then you can really come up with a great ROI because then you can say, well, we have hundred thousand claims and you've got a team of a hundred analysts. So that 20 minutes, one minute now becomes really efficient. And then, you know, the ROI is, you know, potentially millions of dollars in, in gain that, you know, you could repurpose those people, but that's the way. You should always think like through any, any AI or any business that you are building is kind of like, well, why am I doing this? And is it better for me to, maybe it's better me to do it the way I'm doing it today. Right. Maybe AI is too expensive, cost prohibitive, right? Maybe I should just make my efficiency gain in my process, not use AI to so do that. 
common question that comes up anyway. You know, people maybe do a, you know, a, a fast start engagement, right? They kind of do something that there's one team who's like, yeah, got her about it, excited, there's the ROI there, fantastic. Nothing this before. You, you, you do a pilot, the pilot's great. And then things kind of fizzle out and stop. How have you worked with wider groups and wider cultures, really, to help to drive adoption past that, that first beachhead? you know, team in a company? I ask these types of questions. So I, first off, I find out is if there's any data scientists in the business, normally it's like we got one guy or girl that we've hired recently, which is a good sign. It shows a positive intent, but it also shows that they've thought through budgeting process to get that approved, right? Someone must have approved like, okay, let's get a data scientist. So if you actually, the question that I try, I try, try to ask is, you know, do they have the team, but also do they have the executive buy-in? And a lot of companies, they don't have what's called a CDO, a chief data officer, or somebody who actually owns the analytics business. So if they don't have that role, who's going to play that role, right? And actually ask those questions like, look, we can come up with anything, but if you don't have that role in the executive buy-in at the board level or the, you know, the C, the C level, it's probably never going to go anywhere. So this thing that we're doing is just discretionary budget. They find it effectively that they have lying around, let's do some POCs. POCs, there's a staff, I think it was McKinsey that came up with this, the 60% all ML POCs now go, I think it's some stat like that. Maybe it's changed now with JTBI, but it's a very high percentage. I saw the same with doing these fast starts with companies. They never go into production. So and, and it's, it really is the culture part of it. It's like enabling the advocates of the business to go to the board, show them the ROI, show them the intent, and then give them some kind of roadmap. And again, if they don't have that C-level person, you know, maybe you could put, you could help them being a fractional CDO or chief data officer or whoever, who actually can go to the board and go, okay present it right in an executive session of what we discovered and here's the intent. All the projects that we did that way in AWS with partners, AWS partners, and they took that approach rather than look at the technology, they were the, always the ones that ended up near enough going in every time because they took a methodical view of like, okay, who, who are the leadership? And then some of these partners, the good partners would actually say, no, I'm not going to do the work. Because it's not worth my while if I do this, but I don't know, I get some revenue in. Wouldn't it be better for me to focus on another company that actually has those pieces in place? And, and then they would, you know, educate customer if you do these things, let us know. Back to you. So the, that's, you know, it's good technique, I think. Uh, and a bit I've, I've observed, you know, and this is probably a, a case of just the maturity of the data science, machine learning, AI field. It's, most of the time, the data science function functions exist in business units. And this is a huge problem for our companies, consulting firms, where mostly consultancies talk to IT, central IT for, you know, your SharePoint needs, your database needs, your lake needs, which often is controlled and governed by that central group. Whereas data science was often seen as being this business function, again, discretionary budgets, from the marketing team, from the sales team, from your, you know, operations team, your, you know, shop, your food shop floor team, whatever. 
It's interesting because you're near the business that they answered data really, really well, which is crucial for any data science use case. But by the same token, to your point, they were then yeah. further removed from the CIO or the CTO or the person that would have been, you know, or the CDO who normally sits more in a centralized group. Yeah. How do you, th do you see that changing yeah. out in the field or is that still kind of a thing? Or what, what do you kind of see there as the kind of cultural future of data science teams? I think, I think it's going to be a cultural change needed in organizations. And again, the ones I've seen that are successful, these advocates, these people that are champions that really want to do this for the business, but they don't know where to start, right? So they, they need the, the help from, you know, consultancies and others that actually give them that fractional, give them the, what they need to actually present a business case and advocate that. But I would also argue, and it takes time to build trust with any, any company is actually look at some of their strategic plan. And we used to have this thing in AWS and kind of give you an idea of this. So they used to have like a statement that if for every initiative, does, are they going to use AI in this initiative? They would ask that question. They would be, it's a writing culture and have a question and go, will this use AI, the solution or ML? And if not, why not? And you'd have to answer it. And if you didn't answer it, then you don't get the initiative funded, right? Because you've not thought through that. And I would say the same with any company. And I'll give you another example, high level. So if I was a content generation company, so think of it like an education company and my business is like, okay, I've got a very successful business. Great. And I do education content for schools and colleges and everybody signs up. I've got like a nice uh, tool, like a SaaS tool. And they, you know, we've got a lot of schools and colleges signed up. Then ChatGPT happens. ChatGPT happens and effectively all that content is somewhat generated by ChatGPT. And now people are just using that. And then the question is in the business, the core question is how rapid and how agile can we be in your business model? Because of this, you know, potential threat to business and opportunity in your business. So I think check they're now doing a chat GPT front end on their stuff, which is great. Now I would also say, well, what is, where are people going today? Where are the students going? Chat GPT. So don't create your own chat GPT plugin for you to like people do the same. Think through the delivery of where your eyeballs are going to be. And it's going to be chat GPT or Google Bard or all these others. So the better strategy there is actually use plugins and, and essentially promote those plugins through ChatGPT as another way that students could then just select the plugin, they signed up to their account or whatever, and now they can have the same service within ChatGPT. You don't need to even know, need to go to check. So it's kind of changing the way to, to not only innovate faster, but to connect that to where the consumer eyeballs are going to be going forward. And it, the same is going to happen, I believe in e-commerce. I think e-commerce is going to get seriously disrupted again by if I was shopping for my, you know, different people in my family and it knew my preferences because that's, you know, chat GPT, you could have that in, in a chat. 
what then they want to execute on that e-commerce request. Well, then you would plug in, maybe it's a startup, maybe it's one of these new billion dollar startups that's going to happen. And they could go to all the different catalogs and find that preference that is unique to you and deliver that. And then on in ChatGPT or another tool, they can execute that e-commerce request. They can say, okay, now buy that for me, right? And they'll go away and buy it, right? And again, it's where the eyeballs are and it is to, to your point earlier, it's like, you have to be somewhat dynamic with your strategic plan. If you're in this kind of world of content generation or technology that you need to focus in on how this is going to destroy your business or what the opportunities are and have and, and invest in this, right? Because of, of this wave. So that's a long winded answer. Oh, thank you. But so, one that we see a lot of, we talk about the good side of this, right? You know, kind of what some of our hopes and dreams are. Yes, it's destructive, but, you know, we can see some good things it's going to do. We've also seen some horror stories emerging from the field. You know, Samsung, quite famously, you know, had some people posting some proprietary stuff in ChatGPT, which became part of the training set, which, you know, they've obviously now locked down access to that as have a number of government agencies because they don't want people's data, tax data, employment data, you know, DOD I'm sure has it to be looked down as well because obvious reasons. What do you see as some of the issues around that? And I guess the leading question, because I know what your business is, what are you doing about that? Yeah. And so the, you know, I, I quit AWS and started here. And I saw this opportunity of Jonesy AI. So I'm an entrepreneur by, not by trade, but just in, 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 you know, just who I am. By nature. My personalities. I always want to build by nature. There you go. Build in innate. So one thing you can do is you can ban ChatGPT, Google Bard, all these, you know, new tools that are in the market. And that's, that's fair enough. What that is also doing though, if you, if you do that in a business is you're going to reduce the level of innovation and potentially, like I said earlier, you could get outmaneuvered by a, you know, a startup or others. So democratizing AI and putting guardrails and controls around it is really how AVM, Ad Value Machine, my company is, is started. But, and the idea is to, how do you bring a technology like ChatGPT into your business? and have those guardrails. So our solution to it is, is to solve some of the holes in not only chat GPT, but any of these chat systems and allow companies to use their own credentials, single sign on so they can log in to our account. Everything lives within their own cloud instance. So the data that they use with chat GPT, essentially the models doesn't ever leave their, or just their business. And then we log everything and then we do compliance checks. We, you know, every single request that goes through our tool is check for PII, PCI, other corporate data, source code, others that from an organization point of view, they don't want to put it in the model. And then we provide things like role-based access controls around that. And effectively, because you can bring your own data. Do you want to bring your own data and everybody gets access to it? So if you're in, you know, an industry where potentially you're doing drug design, for example, 
so you might, you need HIPAA, you know, more, you know, HIPAA kind of compliance. So we can provide that, but the drug design team is a different team to other parts of the business, right? And you actually deal with different types of data. So the way we we're building this is to have role-based access controls around models and knowledge based in the business, just like you would do for any, any corporate access here, you know, to SharePoint or whatever your intranet system is. There's going to be data in there. You told right. everybody to, to use, right? So you have, so we've taken the same principle is, you know, least privileged model, role-based controls, federated single sign-on. So then companies can then really embrace that. And the way we also believe with what we're building is providing choice because of the amount of models that go in the market today, companies really want to evaluate from a cost perspective and efficiency, what models will make sense for their business. So you could actually bring in models, host them in our platform, and then, and then you can actually then train that, those models on the data. And I believe the data really, because we log everything is such a, a, like an asset for the business, because essentially every question that you're, everybody in your business is making, we log. And that is so valuable. And you can actually use that data then to fine tune these models based, based on your domain, or you can either take that data and down, you know, down the road, you can create your own model. And that creates a, a moat around your business, a real true moat for others that they couldn't even compete against you. So it's, that's our intent is like, first off, let's lock this down somewhat in the business. Let's give those controls, those access, they give them that democratized, you know, access so they can be efficient like they would do with one of the chat GPT or whatever tool, bring in their own data and, you know, do Q and A answer, and then use that data potentially to create their own domain models that they can then get more efficiency gains and do other things on the road. So that's, anyway, that's what we're, what we're what saying that kind of, I think you said kind of shook something kind of in my mind, right? So a while ago we had the idea of like, it was like a lot of models and actually and came, you know, and a lot of us have been doing this already, right? But actually the data is more important than the model. I've had a shift from model-centric to data-centric AI, kind of the, the technical words for yeah. it. And I feel since December, we've gone back to model-centric. It's all about the model, you know, which model, and there's so many out there. I have trouble keeping up and this is my job, right? I can only imagine how hard it would be for a person who this isn't even thing that they're familiar with. You know, do I use Bard or Llama or one of the Bert ones or, you know, these the dozens and dozens of families that are being built by various people. And almost what you've said there yeah. is trying to say, well, yeah, we've kind of gone model centric again, but we should say, well, hold on a second. You know, the data is still key element here, right? You know, the models are in as good as the data they're built on. Yes, ChatGPT is built on this massive corpus, but your business will have a smaller focus corpus that can be then be used for things like, let's say, in context learning. But I wonder if we're going to end up soon having a false reset back to data centric as people start to think about this more want to create their own modes, want to create yep. um, their own sort of personalized knowledge and then having all the IT functions yep. that something like your platform provides will enable that to happen, right? Because again, your data will now be powering the models while just having these models that are not best to on your data. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's also where the put is going, as they say in America, where, where, where is this going to go? 
and really building those controls early in your business and actually understanding the security compliance and getting that, you know, that part of the solution locked down as the, as we evolve, it's going to be this market. It's also going to be the, the action. It's going to be action-based models that are actually going to do outcomes. So just a simple scenario, go back to that chatbot scenario. So I go to a website and before I could go to my, I don't know, my favorite, my favorite, I don't know, system for ordering cards, birthday cards. I don't know. I'm in, I'm in the U S so I have to do birthday cards for everybody in the UK. So I go in there and I like some cards and using the, give me some examples. This is great. Now, now execute, right? Do something and order those cards and ship them. Right. So if you think about chatbots, generally they, they, they can do some of that today, but they're very rule based rule driven. Now the, the world is changing to more agent based an agent essentially is here's a goal. Now fulfill that goal. So this technology is called agent GPT and baby AGI, which essentially is chaining these requests together and the APIs and the data, the outcomes of these requests. And that that's producing a paradigm shift because then you can really do an autonomous task and do an outcome based task. And, and that's, I believe will happen in the next one to two years. And that, that used to be called RPA, you know, robotic process automation, but it's going to become this new way of doing any autonomous task and any work that you do, here's the goal. No. Just do it and trust them that they do that. Now it also provides risk. The risk of that is, and I've seen a lot of white papers on this is you can have prompt injection attacks or SQL injection attacks or other injection attacks as this agent is doing its work. You can kind of go to a website or whatever and the website, it could be a bad actor that says, Hey, I know you want to do this but you should do this and change behavior of the agent or change the outcome. And then it could, because you've given access to your order, your order system to actually order those, those cards or birthday cards or whatever it is. Now it can actually order 20,000 birthday cards or whatever the thing is and ship them to yeah. some location that was never intended. So that's just, again, going where the, where it's going to go to the top, where it's going to end up. That's where I believe it's going to end up. It's working backwards because a lot of companies are not there yet for that type of technology because that's a lot of potential POCs and making sure or whatever. But if you can actually build the compliance and build the controls around that and making sure if you get a prompt injection attack, what do you actually do? Do you make sure you block it, recognize that, et cetera? And that's what we're, what we're going as a business is going where we believe the technology is going to go. So we'll just be chatting the business. Well, we're almost time. Do you have any kind of final, final pearls of wisdom to, to give our listeners before we end? Final pearls of wisdom is I would recommend if you're not familiar with this kind of, you want to get more information about where things are going. There's a few publications I use. There's, there's a company called AI Exchange or the AI Exchange. You can sign up for there. You get like a, a nice newsletter. The, the, the key is that this market is knowledge, right? And spending time to actually see where the trends are, it, getting newsletter and get, getting really immersed with where things are going. So I would recommend anybody on call listening here is sign up to a few of these like AI newsletters, 
and uh, get, get like an inbox and, and make sure you take time out of your day to read what's going on and actually understand where things are going. And then when people ask you like Lee, actually, you know, then you can sound somewhat smart, right? You respond. That's actually good advice because I see a lot of LinkedIn influencers or people who want to be AI influencers on LinkedIn spewing all kinds of unhelpful, uninformed dribble. And some good ones too, for sure. But um, yeah, too, right. too much noise right. now during the field compared to the, the top players. Well, John, thank right. you very much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on. I've had fun. I hope the listeners have had fun as well. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Lee. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.